Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform. This is the Algarve and Andalusia recap. And we also have a note on Setmana Valenciana, Volta Comunitat Valenciana. Femmes, what a mouthful race at the end of this podcast as well. But Algarve first, the maybe hardest mountaintop finish of Algarve, 182Ks, finishing on an Alto de Foya. There's a statue of Remco that Portuguese fans <laughs> claim isn't actually Remco at the end of this climb where he won. We beat Sharkman a couple of years ago. It's Pigotta climb 10Ks first at 5%, a short descent, and then 7.7Ks at 6.1%. It's exposed. There's often a headwind. Ineos had the strongest team, Benji, uh, but really no one really had any idea who they were riding for. Yeah, that's true. At the start of today's stage, I honestly uh, tuned in and we didn't have a breakaway anymore. Those were pro Conte teams, as expected, um, but they were caught pretty early on. We'll talk about the Ineos squad in a bit on the climb itself. But uh, we saw that at the front of the peloton, Fabio Jakobsen was paying back at Emco because he was pacing in the yellow jersey at the front of the peloton, making sure uh, that the tempo was relatively high. And unfortunately, a bit later, we saw a crash that happened then. It was quite a serious crash. I think the most notable candidates were um, Pitcock in there. We also had Izegiria thing down and also Walter, Kokar, um, Bernard, Troja and Lars van den Berg, last of which is reportedly uh, DNF'd with a hip fracture. This is not completely confirmed, so let's hope it's not true, but it didn't look good. Uh, shout out to Walter, who directly stayed with him until the medics were there. So uh, that was nice to see. But hopefully uh, the injuries there are not that bad. Pitcock was able to come back to that group, the Peloton group. And I think he was the most important rider in that group that crashed for today's stage, to be honest. Perhaps Walter as well, as you could say. But after that, Quickstep kept it up for a bit when it comes to the pacing. But we quickly saw that Ineos was a team taking over, right? And uh, like you say... Who are they riding for? They've got Danny Martinez. They've got Pitcock. They've got Hater here, who hasn't shown that great of a form except for that time trial in Besage. We've got the likes of Van Bale here as well. Castro Viejo, who is often very strong as a domestique, and then once a year can be very strong as a leader suddenly as well, like in the Dauphiné 2020 as well. So who knows? It might be possible. But in the end, it looked like the seventh position in the train was Pitcock, right? Yeah, it was... Either for Peacock or Hater, there's headwind on the climb, so you do less work in the wheels on like a 5 6% climb. They got Tullet to Domestique. Thomas said he was going to be riding as a Domestique, and he rode on the second-to-last climb. He did a lot of work there on Picotta. He reduced the group enough. Like, this was not a nuclear yeah. pace by any stretch of the imagination. But hey... The attack game of Bargill together with Pro Conti riders. This is the second day in a row. Yesterday, after the Crossman section, Bargill went to the front and started pacing like a bit more than the peloton and rode away for a bit for like two minutes. 
and then drop back to the peloton. Today he attacked away together with a pro Conti rider on the second last climb and 20 seconds later he dropped back to the peloton. I don't know what Barkel is doing in this race. It's like Latour in the Tour de France last year. So stupid because he perfect finish for him the way they paced it so slowly and he's costing himself energy there and he should have been in G1 in this finish but anyway he, he what do you think he, he attacked i don't know what, what do you thinking. think about alpesin cuz at a certain point they were pacing with their entire squad on the second last climb is that over, overkill for a rider like Javine? uh i think he needs help with positioning so mm-hmm. that's why they're probably more conscious of it uh, bringing him forward but in the end he wasn't he wasn't right he was sick in Antalya and on a finish like this you you know he faded so I'm trying to look through the results they're not fully updated but he certainly wasn't group one for quite a while so doesn't seem to be on top shape at the moment but yeah Ineos controlling headwind makes sense uh, I thought they'd be very very happy to come to the line with a group of 15 and have Pidcock lead out Hater or vice versa. Uh, I don't know which one's was going to be the leader. I thought maybe Pidcock because Hater was a bit off at Provence. Anyway, they get to the final climb. Avonapol's got no teammates except for Vika because they brought the sprint train. And an Afapel rider attacked, Portuguese rider. Or was it yeah. Dylan Van Baal attacking first, Benji? Oh, they both attacked. Fumbala was one of the attackers there as well. But that was odd because Ineos was like pacing for the first half of this Foya climb. And I was thinking perhaps they're going to try and keep it at a fake tempo to make it a sprint at the end with Pitcock or Hater, like you mentioned. And then that Fumbala attack kind of came out of nowhere for me because they just dropped the gap behind him and he got a bit of a gap. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, I wasn't really expecting that to go anywhere for Vaka took over. That if Opel attack wasn't to... Uh, was later. I think it was a glass drive, by the way, or is that the name of FAPL these days? I don't know. It changes. <laughs> yes, glass drive, Q8, Anicola team <laughs> the new, in the nuclear kits. Uh, I was so surprised Van Baal attacked Benji. I thought they'd want to control, lead it out. And yeah. it got to the end of this climb and Ineos ran out of numbers and it got a bit messy. Pidcock's left on the front and he's kind of done, hate his second wheel, and Battistella for Astana, who's young, good day for the Italians, the young ones, they're improving well. He attacks early, and I don't think that's possible if Van Baal's fresh and they really delivered it properly for Hater. It's my view. Anyway, he attacks around the left, sweeping left bend on Foyer, group sprint of 12, 13 riders plus. So this is kind of what... I thought Ineos would draw up. Avonapol had been eating a lot of wind on the climb, and once we're into 100 metres, 150 metres to go with a group of 12, he's not winning the sprint. Foss and Agita, oh no, sorry, Pidcock follows Battistella. Eventually, Foss starts his sprint around this uh, right-hand sweeping bend. Agita goes around further, and they come together. Agita in the Columbia National Champs jersey coming fast. We'll talk about the deviation or no deviation in a second. They both crash. They get tangled up. And David Godu, who is punchy, and he came third in the age out of five in a sprint last year, he takes this stage, overcoming Battistella, the first a big win for FDJ. You've had a pretty disappointing start to the year at Provence in particular, ahead of Battistella. Hater third, he was the rider Ineos went for. Then McNulty, 
who was punching on Dauphiné third. I thought he might do even win this stage. Fourth, then Martinez, Avonapol, Julian Bernard, George Zimmerman, Tony Gallopin, Sven-Erik Bistrom rounding up the top 10. Next group, Bargui and Pidcock actually says lost 17 seconds. But good win for Godou, a man not to be underestimated on these climbs. And look at Arate last year, although that's steeper. But before we get into the Foss and Agita discussion, Benji, a mention of our show partner, Zwift, getting set up to ride indoors can seem daunting, but it's easier than it looks at first. You just need your device, Windows or Mac desktop, laptop, tablet, or even your mobile. Get the Zwift app, get the Zwift companion app, wheel on or wheel off trainer, either or, and your bike, and you can dive into virtual riding, racing, cruising around, which Benji and I like to do after recording the podcast. That's what I'm going to do straight afterwards. So thanks to Zwift for supporting the podcast and for all of you joining on Tuesday on the group ride. Foss and Agita Benji, who's yes. to blame? Or is it or is it 50% this, 50% that? Okay, so how I see it is that there's a bend in the final corner during sprints that's very difficult to navigate already for sprinters. Yes, you can expect a sprinter to relatively sprint in a straight line on a straight road. But when a corner comes in, it's already kind of tricky when it comes to sprinters trying to figure out if they keep their lane in a corner and so forth. Now, in my eyes, Foss takes a bad line. Yes, he takes a bad line leading him into Higita, but the sprint is in a corner. And honestly, you can't expect climbers to sprint perfectly parallel with the, with the bend in my eyes. So for me, this is a pure race incident, this one. I think this is 75% Igita, and I was saying oh. in messages yesterday that I think Igita is a little bit a guy to avoid in the group. Now, I know Jungles crashed him out, but that was also in a situation where he was also being inattentive in a, in a spot that other riders didn't expect him to be in and in the pace line. I remember that. He moved up. It was a bit weirdly there. He's crashed in other stages, which I don't know whose fault it was. But here, this is the really tough thing, Benji, because I was ready to go in on Foss because I saw the white strip in the middle of the road and Foss has gone from the right side of it to that strip around the bend, leaving his lane. But then you look at the barriers and you look at the finish from the front on, from the final finish lane camera, and the barriers are not parallel to that line. The line is actually deceptive and the finish is kind of at a different angle. And Foss actually was going, he was in the middle of the road, stayed in the middle of the road. Maybe he did edge out a bit to the left, but then he was going to the middle of where the finish was, sort of following the, the middle of the barriers. And so in that sense, I think Agita's passed him too cl- closely. But is that, yeah, sure, he can take a wider corner, and it's perhaps a normal thing to take a wider corner, knowing that this stuff happens a lot these days in sprinting corners. But is it Higita's fault then, necessarily? Because if there's a white line on the road, I'm going to expect that that white line follows the road to the finish line. Exactly. Like, that's a logical thing in my eyes. So I vaguely remember that. I swear Cav went to the white line in the Tour de France last year in one of the stages, maybe the one where he nearly chopped Philipson or Merlier. Uh, and it's the same problem. And so now you're right, Benji. Is it 
it's what you said at the start. It's just a racing incident. Like, do you, if yeah. you were the UCI commissaire, what would you do? Ban everyone except for uh, Aramburu's not in this race, so I can't do it. <laughs> but it's still a nah, come on. <laughs> He's not Aramburu. <laughs> Jose Neves. <laughs> Portuguese anyway. pro county rider. Yeah, anyway, I think uh, I agree with that aspect. But then we look at the other deviation or thing that happens, and that's a bit earlier. If we go back earlier in the sprint, we notice that Van Bala moves across from the middle of the road to the left side of the road. Hater is in his wheel, moves as well, because his wheel, his front wheel, is in the left side of Van Bala's back wheel. As a consequence, the same happens to McNulty, and that's the reason that Evenepoel gets squeezed on the left side of the road. Is that a race incident as well in your eyes? Yeah, because they're, they're, I guess they're following Battistella ahead of them, and Avonapol was in bad position for a lot of this climb, frankly, getting a lot of wind. And I think he, he's been so good, Benji, that he hasn't really been like, I need to conserve the maximum amount of energy here and sit in the, sit in the draft. Whereas Asgren in classics, like he's learnt because he's not been dominant until he was last year. I've got to conserve energy. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know what you do there. No, you, even, even if Paul was in bad position, Ineos fell in Battistella, they were front position. Foss let them, don't have a problem with it. I agree. Do you think that the reason that Remco Evenepoel doesn't move on a stage like this is because, first of all, there's a headwind. So if he attacks with 5k to go, he's not going to have that easy uh, to keep that attack up to the line one against the peloton chasing. Then again, it's Remco Evenepoel, so we still might be able to do it. Nonetheless, do you think that it's because he knows, yeah, the time trial is coming, I can take time there, I don't need to take time on the likes of, uh, who can I say that doesn't have a time trial in this bloody group? I would dare to say Damn Martinez Godu. time trial is not at, <laughs> yeah, Godu, certainly, of course, 100%. Godu, Martinez's time trial is also not on the level of Ramco in the pool. No. So is that his excuse, that he doesn't attack on a stage like this, you think? He's got no climbing domestiques except for Varka to up the pace or even moving into a good position. It's a strong headwind. It's a big group. Ineos are controlling the pace uh, and sort of letting it get out of control right at the end. Headwind, people are marking him. Not much he can do, frankly, and maybe yeah. not on his best day either. But I think Igita's cost himself a win here and he was going to open up. He was looking very, very fast. But it is what it is. In terms of GC... David Godou, at least now, is one second of McNulty, Avonapol, Hater, Martinez, Bernard, and Bistrom. So B- GC, Benji, really looking like McNulty, Avonapol, Hater, uh, which is a nice little battle. Tomorrow's stage, stage three. Should be- is he good? Oh, no, he's TT. Come on. Compared I don't remember those- this time trial. Probably not good. They're gone. He was fourth in the prologue at Besesh. Come on. <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no shot. Two hundred nine k's tomorrow to yeah, Faro. It's not happening. You reckon Jakobsen gets over the fifteen hundred meter four point eight percent one about twenty four k's to finish, Benji? He really should. Yeah, I think he will. He it's it's not an eight percent climb or anything. No. It's a climb a climb of gradient that he should be getting over, and he looks to be the kind of rider that can get over these versatile hills sometimes and. Therefore, I expect him to get over it and perhaps a medalier might get in trouble easier. True. Anyway, should be a sprint. Maybe we'll see some flyers. Maybe Evan will attack. I don't know. Uh, but today, for me, a little bit sleepy until the final climbs. 
Speaking of a sleepier stage until it kicked off right at the end, Vuelta a Andalusia, stage two to Alcala Real. The Peloton Benji, they woke up. They decided to pace the break today. Unbelievable stuff. But yeah. were you surprised to see Bora pacing? Uh, honestly, I didn't see Bora pacing because I tuned in when Ineos was pacing already. So <laughs> I'm going to throw it back to you with, um, I don't know when it comes to Bora, who are they going for in this parkour? I, I would argue that that uh, Bora was perhaps going for Kemna. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have paced if I was them Bookman on this parkour. GC? Well, not on this parkour. Like, not on today. It's not like I it was going to make Benji. a move here. I was going it. for Bookman. There's no point. <laughs> well... I'd listen, don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling that. I think that's what they were doing because he's, yeah, 15th or 17th on GC. It's a mistake, anyway. okay? <laughs> anyway, when it comes to the rest of the, the the stage here, honestly, the breakaway wasn't really uh, counting too much today, as you said, because the chase was happening. We saw our boy from yesterday, Rune Gerkholz in the peloton in the yellow jersey. Let's hype him up a bit. Awesome rider. And um, yeah, after that, Ineos took over on the final, cl- the second to last climb, the longer climb before the finishing climb. And they just kept up that tempo and nothing else happened. They went into the descent. They kept up that tempo. And we started uh, basically on the final climb, right? Was the first one to make a move on that one. Bahrain had moved up late. Caruso moved up Poles and Hague, but Mikel Landon nowhere to be seen. Poles can be punchy on his day. And they gave him a chance at the base of the Alcala L'Oreal climb, which has the last K at about 11.5%. He attacked, and it was Narvaez, who Ineos had been pacing for with Ben Turner quite well, who went to close it and really couldn't. Narvaez blew up very early. He kind of then closed Haig a little bit, and Benji's mad. Benji's going to be mad here. Kovi attacks early again. Attacked yesterday early and one from the group attacks. Haig doesn't really chase him back, not as big a GC threat. He tries to sit on Narvaez and pulls. They wait then for Gonzalo Serrano, po- pacing for Movistar side by side with Lopez. Serrano then, they're, they're just behind Kovi. They enter the cobbles. Serrano then zigzags across the road. We have some proper deviation action at eight kilometers an hour. And Lopez. Gives him the biggest hip check I've ever seen. Lopez, <laughs> but he, he was justified in it. He was getting close. Serrano then blocks Haig. That group stalls. Covey gets away further and wins this stage with Lopez second, Sosa third, Haig fourth. Small time gaps. The reason I ask or say that you're mad, Benji, is your Giro odds for stage wins for Cozy have been plummeting. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I'm very sad about that. But um, I'm happy that Kovi's winning. And uh, it's also in a way where I was kind of expecting him to wait until the cobble ending and not necessarily right. go that early again like yesterday. I think going early yesterday was necessary because the break was still ahead. But apparently he just likes going early. And um, it's a second victory in a week for this guy. So Crazy. he's definitely in form. It's insane. Now, I do want to turn it back to the Serrano versus Lopez deviation oh, yeah. thing. Like you say, um, we had Serrano basically riding horizontally for a second there into Lopez, and Lopez body checks him. Now, the question there is, a lot of people have uh, opposing opinions on this one. Honestly, my take is pretty clear. Serrano rides into Lopez, and Lo- Lopez puts his body there, yes, a bit harshly, but like, what is he going to do? Bre- stand still? 
like that's not gonna happen on a climb like this the last uh, 200 meters of a stage he's gonna try and stay upright and keep pedaling and as a consequence yes he he uh shoulder checks him but i don't see anything uh nefarious in that aspect by lopez and i think if lopez crashes serrano's dq'd here or relegated from that 100%. horizontal movement 100 percent. like it's yeah it's not on purpose but intent doesn't matter like for the rule it doesn't matter here serrano just completely ran out of gas at this point and kind of like bassett yesterday maybe there's no ill intent but when the road is 14 percent cobbled and he's completely blown up he's like i gotta go the shallowest way <laughs> and yeah lopez had been trying to pass him before the corner too and serrano was kind of blocking sosa benefited from it he zoomed through haig was going to i think come second or third ahead of sosa for sure so um i guess disappointing for him but yeah movistar lopez drama round one perhaps i'm trying to stoke the fires at that a little bit but i think it was just again a racing <laughs> incident um what about, I mean, with Benji, with this parkour, with the way Kovi is looking, can he take out GC? Who is GC? Of course. I think he yeah. can. It's him versus Lutsenko, I think. But where is Lutsenko today? Because I kind of feel no, like exactly. I didn't see him that much. Well, here's the result. Not at all. Kovi first, two-second gap to Lopez, then another two-second gap to Sosa Haig, Steph Kras, Carlos Rodriguez, Tris Davenons, Pozzavivo, just signed to Intermarche, and he's here. Uh, Clark and Christian Rodriguez, polls 11th. And I'm looking, looking, looking. O'Connor lost time. Bookman lost time. 30th is where Lutsenko was ending, and that's on 34 seconds here. So that's quite a loss for GCN with a gap of a lot from Kovi now. It's going to be hard for him to take that back on the parkours we've got because it's not like we've got grandiose parkours, you know? So, uh, I think Lutsenko might be out of the GC competition and uh, Anton Marché with their Pozzo Vivo signing already in the top 10. He's doing quite all right there, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, they, they just want him to get top 10s in stage races and he is a professional at doing that when others who are like, eh, can't be bothered to ride for eighth. No, no, Pozzo will ride for that eighth. We'll move up to seventh. Okamika's in second on Burgos, Benji. He held well on the climb. Yeah. Maybe he can snag. <laughs> nah, he's not snagging top 10. I'd love to see it. Anyway. It's possible. The guy got a top 10 at Sabatini last year, so the guy can get over hills. Okay. So possibly a top 10. You never know. It's it's cool to see a rider on Burgos in the top 10, to be honest. Tomorrow's going to be a stern test. There's some longer climbs at the start of the stage, but it's a easier finish in the last 40, 153 Ks finishing in Altura. Germay looks like he's a little bit... He won a flat sprint against quick guys and he's not been as good uphill. Particularly today, I thought he'd be good and he wasn't. He was where Lutschenko was like 30 seconds back. Tomorrow, I think Indemarche will try for him. And with the flat er finish, still rolly, I think he'll be quite difficult to beat. But anyway, there's another race. The Valenciana stage race has started and Benji has a report from that. Yes, sir. We've got a... Uh... Relatively flat stage with a hill in the end that might spice things up. And I tuned in when they were on that hill and just had an attack by three riders, including Annemiek van Vleuten, the big gun, obviously in the peloton here, Mavi Garcia as well in that group, and Marta Cavalli. So a rider of FDG, one of Movistar and one of UAE. And then a few seconds later, we saw that two riders were catching up. 
This front group then had 30 seconds on the peloton, in which Trek was pacing for Balsamo. Fast rider, world champion, we know that. But what was odd was, the two riders that joined the breakaway were Ludwig, Sicily Utrup Ludwig, another FDJ rider, and Veronica Ewers, which is a rider we probably should have talked about a bit more on the EF podcast, because she's got quite some climbing talent and could honestly top 10 the TDFF if she uh, keeps that up. She got second in Joe Martin's stage race, I think. Now, I expected Utrup Ludwig to go to the front of that five women group and start pacing for Cavalli because on paper Cavalli is the faster rider in that group in my eyes but I didn't see it but the footage dropped out so it's possible that she did it off camera so I want to throw it in there just in case she uh she actually paced and we didn't see it now behind Ellen Von Dijk was hammering it in the second group together with Elisa Longo-Borghini those two riders were working their ass off for uh yeah for Balsamo, their sprinter. Also another sprinter in that group was Rosemann Gannon. She had uh, Alexandra Manley as lead out in that group as well. So potentially, if that group comes back, it's a sprint between Rosemann Gannon and Balsamo. And we saw that that gap was lowering and lowering and that basically the front group got caught as a consequence of perhaps Ludwig not pacing for uh, her teammate Cavalli. We don't know that for certain. But the lead out uh, happened quite uh, insanely because... Von Dijk, we know he, she's a, a fast woman when it comes to the time trial, but she can also hammer it into a lead out. And she did that the last three kilometers, three to one, two kilometers to go, to one kilometer to go. And in the last kilometer, we saw that her teammate, Elisa Longoborghini, did the uh, second last rider lead out. So she, she did the lead out, the proper lead out for Balsamo, basically. After getting dropped on the climb by Von Vleuten, still having the strength to do that. Balsamo in the wheel gets put off at 150 meters to go. Perfect lead out, and Roseman Gannon can't get out of our wheel, Balsamo, shouting victory in our first stage for the team. So uh, wonderful there. And uh, World Championships, guys, completely gone. So uh, wonderful sprint there, and uh, it was awesome to see. Hopefully we can uh, see some more cool stuff in the next three stages of the stage race, which we'll also be covering on this podcast. Balsamo looks, I mean, to get, yeah, get the win off the... Off her back straight away, and if people don't know, Ruby Roseman Gannon is yeah, she's a quick rider. She's been mainly competing in Australia the last few years. This is a neo pro year for Bike Exchange. Jayco certainly want to watch, and losing to Balsamos, no, you know, no shame in that. Tomorrow's stage should be another sprint, a little bit more uphill, but as we saw in the World Champs, Balsamo has no problem with that. So unless there's a break forming on the early long climb, maybe there will be. Um, because AVV is here, but then she's got the next stage after that. So I think it'll be a sprint or a break tomorrow once again. If it's a sprint, do you think that Lorena Wibis can get over the rather hilly terrain in the last half of the race? She should, if she's in good condition. Like at Ronda van Drenthe, she if she's in yeah. that form, I would expect her to be able to, yeah. Yeah, okay. Guess we'll see you tomorrow. Well, some of the Weavers, hopefully we see it, two big guns plus the young Roseman Gannon again. But thanks for listening to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. As always, we'll be back with the triple header recap tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 